what's most important to me and what's important to the firm and and then hopefully what that means in terms of what's driven our success I mean, I think I would, I'd try to put it simply by saying, you know, as we started with innovation, I think what's on the other side of the coin of innovation would be learning. Um, you know, the importance of learning and learning in the right way, right? We so often talk with companies and individuals about, you know, the world's turning upside down in automotive, the world's turning upside down with COVID. Um, you know, how, how do people come out the other end? Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. This is part two of our interview with Mark Johnson. Uh, co-founder of Innosite, author of Lead from the Future. If you missed part one, please go back and, and learn about what he's done and how they got here. Um, Mark, kind of picking up from, from the end of part one, though, um, can we, you know, I think one of the lessons from the book that um, I'm really, really interested to maybe get a bit more detail from you on is, you know, on a lot of teams, there's someone who is maybe more wired to be visionary or maybe they do put in those hours to imagine the future and read the books and watch the YouTube videos and, and go to the conferences and they're spending that time in the future, but maybe the rest of the team hasn't. Um, I would love for you to talk about any just kind of practical tips or, or people examples you think have done well of this idea of getting the whole team on the page about what this future could look like and, and having it not just be this, this fluffy thing that people feel like is a waste of time because I've got to deal with this urgent issue, but like, and any tips as you facilitated these and, and help people do this of how to get the whole team to that place of, of a common vision, you know, five, 10 years in the future? Yep. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I can't talk specifically, obviously, of, of, of clients and naming them, but I will say we cut across this from healthcare and automotive and in other spaces and, and worked with the top leadership team and and where it starts, I think, is that you have to get um, you have to get the senior leaders first being aware that um, being able to spend time in the future that it that it's not a fool's errand that you know that you don't need to have a perfect picture of the future. We like to say it's an impressionist painting, but the power of that can really set direction. And so I think the first step is, um, and sometimes this is happens because there's enough re realization that the world is going to change quickly. Uh, you know, there's going to be a convergence of technologies or what have you that, that that group really needs to think about, you know, the way that the future construct of the business could very well be a not linear, right, that it could be transformative, it could be a step change from where they are today. That has happened a lot in the automotive industry with the convergence of what electrification can do, you know, that would completely upend the industry if it became fully electric, right, just the whole supply chain and just the way it works, the the, so that's one major force, the auto, you know, the autonomous vehicles and what autonomy means, uh, connectivity, you know, how connectivities of vehicles is changing things. And then, of course, business models like Uber and Zipcar and so forth. So the that industry has really gotten on board with many companies. For example, BMW, their leadership team 
uh, meets once a quarter just to talk about the future and just to think strategically and transformatively in a complete different way than when they're operating and executing what I would call the operating and execute mode. They're once a quarter for a day, they're in the explore and envision discover mode. Uh, to be able to think about it. So I guess the first is, is there awareness, is there appreciation of a vocabulary about what does something that's longer than their traditional planning and forecasting look like, you know, getting out to the five to 10 year horizon? I, I think that's one that really drives it. The second would be to um, understand that the process of being able to develop assumptions, because you don't have facts about what happens five to 10 years, they, they really become assumptions is a messy process. It, it requires debate and dialogue. It requires being iterative and uh, taking three steps forward and then a step backwards and, and, and being appreciative of that kind of debate and discussion, which requires uh, teams to diverge before they converge. And then ultimately they get aligned and they get committed. If you can help teams understand, they have to have a different set of conversations and they have to work through as a leadership in a different way. Then, then they realize that um, that it that it needs to be a group discussion. Now, it doesn't necessarily literally have to be every single member of the leadership team, but it should definitely be be a a good subset of that group. And then the rest that maybe aren't participating um, on all these future looking forward looking discussions, uh, they need to be brought along at certain places so that they are at least on board. On, on how the team is evolving their point of view about the way the future is going to work and how they need to fit into it. So maybe I'll stop there, but I would, I would say those are the two things. It's first to drive an awareness of the importance of potential transformation and the need to address it in a different way. And then the second is to understand the process of talking about the future and and of transformative strat vision and strategy requires a different nature of conversation and it requires this sort of diverge converge set of dialogues that can only be done that should be only done as in a team-based way you know that starts with the leadership team so so sticking with that example for a minute you know i remember your story about working with one of the big three automakers and you know, back in 2016, before, you know, Tesla had become the Tesla we know today, um, that they were mm -hmm. in a much more reactive place about, well, we'll do as much electric vehicles as regulations require us. And, and it was a much more reactive approach. And then after their time with you guys, they really had the light bulb came on, come on and they, you know, they completely changed to this, you know, aggressively pursuing that and, and living that in that future place. Can you talk about practical examples like you know if there's somebody in the room who they've got the arms crossed and the you know they, they you can tell by the way the eyebrows are going and the arms crossed that they are they are just going like man don't you know i've got emails to get back to like what are we sitting here talking about this airy fairy stuff for can you talk about helping if you know let's say the leader has gotten there but there's somebody in the room or there's part of the team that that really still needs to to get with the program that needs to let themselves be transformed into, you know, let themselves be transported into that future place and, and really get in the headspace of what this could be. And any thoughts for helping the stragglers come along? Yeah, you know, I, I think I think there just there's um, to be honest, there's some, you know, I'll just give the, the kind of the most negative or worst case example, there's some that 
that just aren't going to get there. Um, no matter what what you talk about or how compelling the trend lines are, uh, you know, they're kind of just focused on the here and now. They're focused on delivery. They can't get their arms around things that are more ambiguous. We call them more delivery oriented as opposed to discovery oriented. And um, they may not ever come along. And I think it's up to the leadership team, depending on how strong the insight and the view is about how things need to change. If they're not willing to, as you say, get on board with the understanding and then be willing to um, embrace the change agenda, then then they really can't be on the ride for the future. So that's the worst case. Um, others that don't get it um, but, but want to get it, I mean, oftentimes what we find is it's one of these things where, um, as I've mentioned, the process is quite messy because, you know, it isn't just about facts and data. In fact, it's mostly not because facts and data are about the present or reflection of the past. Um, you know, they don't really <laughs> – things that are out in the future really have to be driven by what we would say is the management of assumptions, the development of them, uh, making them explicit, and then being able to converge on the key set of assumptions. So. Some of those people just need to continue to stay in the dialogue and they need to, um, you know, have soak time and the ability to hear further conversations. And we've seen a lot of people who maybe were lagging in terms of their understanding and commitment to a set of insights about the future that that ultimately got it uh, in the end. Um, and they they just needed to be brought along and they needed to just have more time to, to, to think about and hear the debate and discussion. Um, and so I, I would kind of put it in those two camps. Um, and, and I think in terms of, uh, you know, how could you kind of enhance one person who's sort of struggling with that is I think the more that, that you can spend time um, in conversation with them, you know, giving them the opportunity to see, uh, the distinctiveness of, of the of the of the trends and the assumptions that are being made, um, and you know what others are saying and how they're aligning and committed, the more likely that those people that want to get it will ultimately get it. I, it's a hard process, and I mean, you could see I doubt it's it's hard to give a very crisp answer about it because it's about human beings and the messiness of trying to be able to get your arms around something that is is not it's not unequivocal right i mean i guess the last thing i would say that gets people that might have skepticism about this either this process or about what's defined in the future when we help teams develop vision we don't say it's a one and done when you develop a future state portfolio about the core and the and adjacent and new growth businesses we don't say well that's your vision and it's done and you know it's either right or wrong we we say it's evergreen it it's something that continually gets shaped as you progress forward in time and you gain new knowledge and insight about how things actually pan out because that vision translates into a set of investments, right? A set of initiatives in those investments, those initiatives, you have to track those very carefully and things that aren't working need to get shut down and things that are working very well, you need to double down on. And all of that informs the intended destination. So I think we've also helped uh, people that aren't so believing with the notion that it's an ongoing iterative learning process about the prescribed destination, that vision, and, and the initiatives that, that have been planted as seeds today 
to realize that vision, those are constantly being adjusted and you're learning from them. So you're proving and disproving assumptions as you move along. Well, I mean, it's funny. I just like the more you talk, I have like 400 more questions and I know we don't have time for that. <laughs> but uh... <laughs> Well, the book definitely helps uh, because uh, we spent a lot of time trying to lay this out very carefully in the book without uh, over promoting that. But it, it honestly is true. It's, it's hard to, to not have 400 more questions. We tried to really lay it out in a way that, that you can connect the dots and all the things we're talking about. Yeah, I love it. And by the way, thanks for sending me the advanced copy. Um, is there is there an audiobook going to come out? Is this going to be on Audible? Do you know? Yes, absolutely. And in fact, that should come out, I think, at the same time that the book is uh, the book is released for distribution. Um, it comes online on April 14th, which may be right, uh, right, at, right before actually this podcast launches. Love it. Well, uh, I'm going to be picking that up for sure. So, you know, I know, I know it's a pretty natural progression for people to read your books and, you know, realize what I'm realizing about you guys and then call you up and say, Hey, the book was awesome. Now we're ready to go deeper. We want to engage you guys. Um, and just because I've, I've followed what you've, what you've done for so many years, I know a lot of these success stories of just crazy breakthroughs. You guys have helped companies make in India and, and, different healthcare initiatives and stuff like that. If people want to find out more about, you know, the case studies of, of how this has shown up in the real world, um, should they be going to the Innosite website? Are there other books too? Like where can people, where can people get uh, more examples of just the progress you guys have helped organizations make over the years? Sure. I mean, I think for sure, uh, com. we have a number of case examples uh, we also have a lot that's been written um, in Harvard Business Review. Um, uh, the the story about the uh, uh, the Chota Cool, which is the mini refrigerator in India, that that was an article called uh, "Emerging Our Mar- Mar- Business Models in Emerging Mar- Markets." Uh, is an HBR article that I co-authored. Um, so, looking up Insight or Mark Johnson or Scott Anthony and and a, and a few of our other colleagues, we've we've definitely put a lot on HBR. Dual Transformation has a number of case studies. The book you mentioned, uh, Reinventing Your Business Model, is the uh, is the uh, next version off of uh, or the updated version of Seizing the White Space, all about business models and business model innovation. And there's a whole host of case studies in there that okay. describe innovation in its fullest form. Yeah, um, so getting... those would I say is some of the main places to go. I love it. Okay. Well, and, and so, you know, maybe to give people just a bit of a taste of, of what this is like and, and selfishly, because I've got you on my podcast. (laughs) Um, so thinking about my, you know, a lot of our listeners know about the, uh, the investment fund we're launching, you know, kind of trying to buy boring, reliable commercial real estate buildings. Right. And, and just hand out the monthly income to our investors. Um, and once we get our approvals from the Securities Commission, we'll be we'll launch our offerings for that and tell people more about it. But, but my question for you is: Let's say that we come to you and and we're saying, "Hey, can you help us start to think about, you know, what future unmet needs might look like ten years out? What what does that exercise look like? What kind of questions are you going to ask us? How do you facilitate the conversation like that of of helping us get to that future state of mind?" Sure. 
Yeah, so, I mean, I think the first set of questions are, you know, you talked about unmet needs. You know, we call them jobs to be done because we want to distinguish from from too close saying needs of an existing product mm, or service. Okay. We want to get more fundamental. So so I think you'd start with, in this case, you'd actually start with today of, of making sure that you have a good understanding of, of what are the current customers' jobs to be done? What are the important things that they're trying to get done in their life? And, and what things are really important and what things are currently poorly met. Um, so it's, it's described again in the book and in other places of insight about what we mean by jobs to be done versus needs, the uh, needs-based segmentation. And, and understand that first and be able to kind of have that, if you will, taxonomy or vocabulary. And then, and then use trends and the convergence of trends in the future to be able to create what is the future circumstance and how does that take the jobs to be done that you've defined and reprioritize them? What ones become really important and unmet in the future? So that you're anticipating, you know, it's kind of a little bit Maslow's hierarchy of needs, but in the sort of product space, it would be, you know, is it going to be about reliability or does it move to be more about convenience and customization or does it move to being a cost game, you know, unless you can figure out ways to get past that. So you want to use trends and potential disruptions, uh, you know, potential points of inflection uh, to help you determine a different circumstance, which would then in the future, which would then help you say what are going to become most important in terms of jobs to be done. And those important unmet jobs then get addressed by innovation, by being able to develop a value proposition to those customers. So. So, what is the product service offering and things like that? Yeah. So can I give you one example? So sure. one of the personas that we're, we're really focused on, you know, we're, we're trying to go after folks that haven't necessarily been, been targeted as well by Wall Street. Um, let's talk about, uh, let's say that I'm going after entrepreneurs who they just have a lot of financial anxiety that they've got all their eggs in the one basket. And they would really, mm-hmm. they would really like to just lower the financial stress by knowing Hey, I've got enough passive income elsewhere that that I can enjoy my company instead of waking up freaked out that my company might go out of business at any given moment. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. In a scenario like that, where would you lead us next? Well, I think I think uh, you'd have to again um, use the process of future back and be able to say we want to diversify. We want to get to the opportunity, as I think you said, to have some passive income. So you have to look at a couple things. One is, what is it? There's got to be one thing within what you're already doing, a nugget, a capability, a skill, a, you know, a, a competency that you could bring to something that's very different, right? And And I think you have to look at this in the context of where things are going and what could be as opposed to what is. And then you have to look at it from the jobs to be done perspective, you know, looking into that, what's the art of the possible, and then what could you address in terms of, we call them strategic focus areas. So what is the potential strategic focus area that gets you to this, I think you're saying passive income space, where you combine a competency or a capability you have with an important unmet job in the future uh, to something that you could ultimately, you know, provide to a customer, a, a, a targeted customer, and then begin to think about how you'd innovate uh, to begin to to build out that passive income business. If I understand what you're asking correctly. Yeah. No, I love it. 
Um, and maybe final final question on this thought is, you know, there's a lot of people who are trying to help folks retire at some point or, you know, diversify, have some passive income. We're not the only one in that space. When you think about how people like us can try to be on our A game for anticipating the technologies or the innovations that will change that future and and to um, to get in the headspace of how that world could look different in 10 years, is it the books and the magazines and, and getting data reports? Are, are there other sources that you would encourage us to be keeping a finger on a pulse of? Well, I, I think uh, what we do at Insight is, in addition to everything you just mentioned, certainly uh, being able to attract entrepreneurs and, and uh, venture capital where it's going and the, and the startups, uh, the, the small companies and what they're doing, you know, how, what technologies are they embracing and what kind of business models are they trying to wrap around technologies that are, are both, you know, in the very early days where you can find them, but then, you know, maybe they've gone past the incubation stage and they're actually starting to, to have some real growth. But I think scanning the horizon for, for those kinds of startups and, and, and what they're doing is, is, is another way to kind of get your handle on how, how things are going to shake out within an industry or across an industry in addition to what you said. I love it. Well, um, maybe changing gears here a little bit. Uh, totally appreciate you coming on the show. Like I said, I was really happy when your PR people reached out to us. Um, I was a fan. I was a fan before they had, so excited to have you on. Um, I guess my next question, maybe we can kind of wind down with this, is when you think about the reputation that you guys enjoy and just the, you know, the real dominance in people's mind of when it comes to the world's best innovation thinkers, I mean, conferences I go to, people I talk to all over, your name, you know, Innosite comes up again and again. What do you, what do you attribute your success to? I mean, I know you had been at Booz Allen Hamilton. There's obviously all sorts of big other consulting firms out there. What, what, what kind of things do you think you guys have done different or what, do you, what have you done different in your career to really have, have risen to this level, do you think? Well, I, I think this is uh, – I just appreciate the question because, you know, I've thought a lot after 20 years about, you know, what, what's most important to me and what's important to the firm and, and then hopefully what that means in terms of what's driven our success. I mean, I think I would – I'd try to put it simply by saying, you know, as we started with innovation, I think what's on the other side of the coin of innovation would be learning. Um you know, the importance of learning and learning in the right way, right? We so often talk with companies and individuals about, you know, the world's turning upside down in automotive, the world's turning upside down with COVID. Um, you know, how, how do people come out the other end of these kinds of things, whether they're media short term like today or whether some of these are longer term play out transformative situations? And we say, you know, the one that can learn and learn the fastest is probably going to be in the in the best uh, condition to you know address the threats and seize the opportunities because nobody really has a crystal ball. It's it's more about kind of setting direction and then getting into a mode of rapid learning. So one I think is the success of embracing learning and what that really means and how do you really drive a learning organization? And you know I I mentioned in the book Satya Nadella who. I think in large measure transformed Microsoft because he said, you know, we were too much about being uh, know-it-alls and we needed to shift to be learn-it-alls. And it really took that as a mantra for, 
the organization. You know, so first part is I would say learning and, you know, learning's on the other side of innovation. And, and then I think we took it a step further and we said, what's on the other side of learning? And that's humility. And, and we actually have as one of our core values as a company, literally stated humility and then described what humility means to us. And, and so I think the, these core values and, and, you know, not every place is going to have the same core values, but, but living honest and true to your core values and, and making sure that they're consistent of what you're trying to achieve, I think is the propellant to um, it driving your success is that you've aligned the organization. I mean, you have to align them with the mission and vision, but I, think, but I think those core values, making sure that they're right and that they're enduring and that they're lived by everybody um, is, is foundational to success. Success. And like I said, we've we've just felt, you know, if you really are going to help your clients be innovative, you've got to embrace this idea of really effective individual and organizational learning. And on the other side of that is you you really have to prescribe the humility, meaning the diversity of thought and the openness that you can learn from anybody and everybody is, is the is the method to really effectuate the ability to be a better learner and therefore a better innovator. I love it. Well. Um, if you're going to give us some practical examples, like what, what does this rapid learning, continuous learning look like for you? Are you a, you know, are you a periodicals guy? Are you a book guy? Are you a conference guy? Like what, what's your, what's your learning mix look like? What's your recipe look like? Well, you know, before I go into like any particulars or tactics, I would just say the, the first part of the learning recipe is, is like I mentioned about the vision is that, you know, that, that these kinds of things that really navigate innovation to success, you know, are never one and done. Um, you know, your vision is always being able to be challenged and adjusted and, and, and shaped. The, the the initiatives, the investments that you make are always challenged about what ones, you know, and this is this isn't uncommon in right in the venture capital and, you know, the entrepreneurial world is, you know, what are the ways that we could kill this venture? You know, so being being very specific about, you know, what could go wrong and being able to say, you know, these things need to be shaped um, in that we, we don't hold on to things you know that where assumptions have been have been proven in a negative you know that we have the ability to move on you know again to to be able to look at those as learning vehicles and not just about business vehicles so I mean, I can't emphasize enough that the, the foundation of a book around, um, you know, managing for the long term that's driven by vision that then's walked back to today to a set of initiatives is a one is never it's never done. You know, it, it's an ongoing ability to to shape and reshape and iterate and and get in the mix. So. I'd first say about the principles piece of that. And then as it relates to tactics about where do you look? And I mean, I absolutely think the more that companies can embrace, you know, the concept of open innovation, right, that they can learn from um, scientists and other folks around the world. And there are plenty of companies that aggregate, you know, scientific understanding and experts, uh, you know, Procter & Gamble has been really a master of open innovation. They have a connect and develop program. Um, they they utilize design firms to help them on the outside. You know, they've, they've had a longstanding relationship with IDEO. Um, you know, they've done a lot of things to be able to pull from a, a lot of different places. So I think absolutely trying to uh, pull from the external, um, that not everything is in-house, and then, and then inside, being able to pull from lessons learned and being very good about a lessons learned approach are 
are part of the different ways to become better as a learning organization. Um, uh, you know, of course, it's the classic best practices, uh, but there's also the ability to sort of do lessons learned um, along with with tapping into to different experts that are outside the outside the company. I love it. Well, um, everybody, please go to futurebackleadership.com or go to amazon.com and look up Mark's new book, Lead from the Future. Um, connect with him on LinkedIn or go to the Intersight website. Um, I really appreciate the time you've, you've given us here, Mark. Maybe, maybe to close, um, one of the questions I've really enjoyed asking different guests, and I'd love to know your answer here is, what do you feel like is one of the best pieces of advice you ever received? Um, you know, I think, I think perhaps what has been you know, just a, that's been through my life, whether it's been at Innisight or beforehand, you know, with Booz Allen or before that in the Navy, uh, you know, in the U.S. Navy, would be, I guess, I'd, I'd put two pieces of the advice. One is to be very good about communication. You know, this, just like we've kind of talked on the show, you know, the ability to get these leadership teams into debate and dialogue, you know, because, you know, there's this great quote that uh, differences must come into close contact for learning to occur. So, you know, really embracing very open, um, collaborative communication and, and communicating really well and being proactive to reach out to other people for help, um, you know, that you can't do it alone. You know, so I've just embraced my whole life and it's been early advice given to me about create about communication. And I think it's a close corollary to that principle of communications is initiative, that the initiative is embedded in the communication, that you take initiative to reach out to people. You don't wait for them. You know, you're willing to kind of be vulnerable to um, put yourself uh, in a place to open up to somebody else and not sort of be waiting and saying, well, they should reach out to me. So I, I just feel like it's tied also into the work that we've done at Insight. It's just really embracing, you know, that you can learn from anybody and everybody and that you, that, that, that mechanism for learning of them is to be proactive in your communication and, and taking initiative to, to tap into knowledge and insights from perhaps places you might not expect that might not just be within your traditional, even industry. Um, but having that, Proactivity of communications is, I think, the, the fuel for, for so many of the aspects of the process that we've, we've talked about on this podcast. Yeah, so great. Well, thanks again for making time for this. Well, thank you, Jeff. It's been a real honor to be on your show. Great. Thanks, everybody.